Amen? Amen. All right. So if you have a Bible, open it to Romans chapter 4. We're going to look at the last verses, 17 through 25. I think there's only 17 through 23 up there. I'll read the last two. As you get old, sometimes your memory starts to escape. So um, please follow along as I read this, and then we're going to next week go into chapter 5. So starting at verse 17. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. In the sight of him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead. Let me say that again. Even God who gives life to the dead. And he calls into beings that which does not exist. You see that, guys? Verse 18. In hope against hope, he believed. In order that he might become a father of many nations, talking about Abraham, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, He did not waver in unbelief. Yet in respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief. Can that be said about us? Mm. But he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully assured that what God had promised, God was able to perform. Do we believe that? Therefore, also, it was counted or reckoned, legizomai, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Not, now, not for his sake only was it written that it was reckoned to him. Look at verse 24, church. But for our sake also, to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. We worship a risen Savior, church. He who was delivered up because of my transgression and your transgressions, and he was raised because of our justification. Amen? So in our last time together, as we've been going through Romans, we've looked at Paul's teaching concerning works, We've looked at circumcision and promise. We'll look at why salvation could never come to you and I by trying to keep all the Ten Commandments, because we can't. So some key points as we dig into this text are, listen, it is God and only God who can give life to the dead. It is God who creates, who was the source of Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith, listen, <clears throat> this is important. Abraham's faith is in what God said, the promise he made to Abraham. So look at slide three. Let's look at verse 16 and 17. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, 
so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, the Jews, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you, in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls him to be in that which is, does not exist. <clears throat> Here it is in the New Living Translation, slide 4. So the promise is received by faith. It is given, now look at this church, it is given as a free gift. You can't buy it, you can't earn it, you can't bargain for it. It is given as, what does the text say? As a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, and here's your clause, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. <clears throat> Verse 17. This is what the scripture means when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Do you realize that every person that comes to a saving faith in Christ is a miracle? Do you see that? Here in these verses, Paul is now concluding his argument that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and no other way. It is not through works. It is not through the law. And he's making the point clear to us that if we could ever earn our salvation by works or keeping the law, then faith disappears and the promise is abolished. <clears throat> Paul had to refute the teaching that salvation could be obtained through the keeping of the law and that the promise to Abraham came through the law. So that's why he says in these verses, for this reason it is by faith, so that the promise is received by faith and it is given as a free gift. Slide 5. And here's the Heidelberg Catechism. I love this. This knowledge and conviction that everything God reveals in His Word is true. <clears throat> this deep-rooted, deep-rooted assurance. Do you have a deep-rooted assurance? that is created in us by God the Holy Spirit through the Eugalion, through the gospel, that out of sheer grace, that grace that was earned for us by Christ, not by us, by Christ, we have had our sins forgiven and have been made forever, no expiration date, forever right with God, and we have been granted salvation <clears throat> not by works, not by the law, not by actions, not by behaviors or ordinances. Paul links it, slide six, that it may be in accordance with grace. And just so we remember what the word grace means, the word charis, it means unmerited favor. <clears throat> Church, it means showing kindness to someone who does not deserve it at all. That's all of us. It is unmerited, meaning that there's no reason or anything in this as to why he should show it. 
He loves you and I in spite of ourselves. So what did Paul want us to understand? See, he wants us to know that there's nothing in any of us to deserve this free gift of salvation. It's something that we receive freely. This free gift is given to those, that's all of us who don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. In fact, all of us deserve the opposite. <clears throat> and this grace arises solely, listen, from His love for you and I without anything in you and I to produce it. It's agape toy love. His love is not predicated on our performance. We don't earn it. He loves us because it's, it's an act of His will. It's a choice He made. He loves you and I in spite of ourselves. It's unconditional. And it is this grace, church, hear me this morning, that reconciles you and I to the Father. Do you see how His grace leads to faith? So how does God the Father make it possible for you and I? <clears throat> Back in chapter 3, verse 24, slide 7, Paul had said, through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. Jesus paid it all. Do you hear me? He paid it all. He was the ransom. He was the ransom. Something had to happen to pay for all of this mountain of sin, date, sin debt that we both, all of us have. The scripture makes it clear through or by means of. Church, this is how it was made possible for us by means of all that happened through Christ, his perfect obedience to the law, his sacrificial death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. And if a church ain't preaching that, run from it. That's what made it possible for us. Church, hear me this morning. This way of faith reveals to us that salvation is entirely of God's grace so that God and God alone gets the glory. It's His gospel, church. There's nothing that you and I can boast about. This is how the promise came to Abraham. So we can't even boast about our faith. Our faith is a gift from God. <clears throat> Hear me. God is the one who gives each of us the faith we need to believe the gospel in the first place. If we boast about the fact that we believe while someone else does not believe, listen, it's not grace anymore because we're giving ourselves credit for believing. Listen, before you were born again, if you are born again, we didn't make ourselves born again. Side 8. <clears throat> so in verse 16 he says, so that the promise will be guaranteed. Very important word you can underline in your Bible. So the promise will be guaranteed to how many of the descendants? All the descendants. And not only to those who are of the law, not only to the Jews, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. See how Paul ties it all together with this promise that comes with a guarantee? <clears throat> this word guarantee that Paul uses, babeos is the Greek word. It has the idea... In the original language, is something that is fixed, cemented, sure, certain. It is something that is unmovable, and it does not waver. It is a guarantee that is immovable, fixed, 
certain and it does not waver. And we learn what the word promise meant in our last time. God declaring something upon himself. So hear me, when we tie this promise and this guarantee, we're all linked together right there in verse 16. <clears throat> God has declared upon himself a commitment to Abraham and his heirs. God's promise, which he guarantees, is a lifetime guarantee. No expiration date, church. With God, there's no expiration date when it comes to those who belong to him. Hear me. This promise, church, listen, it's fixed, certain. It's immovable. Our salvation, this is one of the reasons right here in this verse why you can't lose your salvation. And don't let any false prophet tell you you can lose your salvation. Otherwise, this verse is lying to you. And God doesn't lie. Our salvation is fixed and sure, certain and immovable because of Christ. And it's for all who come to faith in Christ. Hear me this morning. If it wasn't this way, God's way, there would be no hope for those who never had the law and who were not under it. They would have no hope. If it were by anything else, the Gentiles or the non-Jews, that's everyone else, would be excluded. They would be shut out. Thankfully, based on what the text says, that's not the case. Listen. Abraham was not under the law when God gave this promise. That came later. Read your Bible. He wasn't under the law. So then, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a non-Jew. The principle of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is the same, church. Salvation is all of God's work. It's all of God's plan, and it is all by His grace alone. This is why faith is not just some other form of human works as some religions try to tout it. Your faith, my faith, is how we receive God's grace and salvation. That's how it comes to us. And then in verse 17, Paul again quotes yet again, because again, he's dealing with the Jews. He's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting back from Genesis 17.5. Look at slide 9. All the way back in the very first book of the Bible, 17 chapters in, a father, he's talking to Abram, a father of many ethnos. That word nations is ethnos. doesn't matter what your ethnic group is. Father of many ethnoses, nations, have I made you. So Abraham was this like spiritual prototype of every believer. So what does this mean? Well, just like each of us here this morning, Abraham was a sinner like me, like you. He was an idol worshiper like you and like me. He was ungodly like me and like you. He would lie like me and like you. He was just like every one of us. I know that's hard to fit in the ears, my father-in-law would say, but that's the truth. He would trust in his own efforts instead of God. Anybody ever been there? Run ahead of God? No, you're all sanctified. It's okay. And if you don't believe me when you get home, just turn to chapter 12 and look at verses 12 through 14 when you get time. But here's the thing I want you to understand. In spite of all of that sin, God saved Abraham in spite of his sin. In spite of all my sin and your sin, he saves us. In spite of all of it. Slide 10, verse 17, he says, In the presence of him whom he believed. 
as we've already learned, Paul is alluding again to Genesis 15, 6. There's no slide for this, but stay on slide 10. <clears throat> Genesis 15, 6 says this. Then he, that's Abraham, believed in, and the word there is Yahweh. Say it, church, Yahweh. That's his name, Yahweh. Abraham Pistisamon, he believed, he trusted in, he relied on the Lord Yahweh, and Yahweh reckoned it to him or counted it to him as righteousness. Even God, slide 10, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into the being that which does not exist. Before you came to faith in Christ, if Ephesians 2, 1 is telling the truth, Paul, he says, and you were dead in your sins and trespasses, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. That's all of us, church. So he quickens and makes alive the dead sinner, takes the heart of stone, turns it into a heart of flesh. Isn't that amazing? Only God can do that, church. Now, there's a lot of implications in this final statement. First <clears throat> and foremost, it is God and God alone who gives life to the dead. Abraham had experienced firsthand the amazing power of Yahweh. Think about it, church. Abraham was well past the time in his life to be, have the vigor to bear children. He's about 100 years old. Well past the time. His wife, Sarah, well past the season in her life to bear a child. Well, well past. They were both as good as dead. As it pertained to having children, she had a dead womb, church. Lifeless womb. But here's the thing. <laughs> you see, God, God is the author of life. Not the doctors, not mankind. God is the author of life. God is the life giver. And God had a different plan because God always delivers on his promise. It's guaranteed. You see, here's the difference between God and man. You see, God can call into existence something out of nothing. You realize that? Well, where does it say that, Pastor Jack? I'm so glad you asked. Slide 11. By faith, not by surgery, not by in vitro fertilization. <laughs> by faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life. Do you see how the Old Testament, New Testament, you can't have one without the other? Since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, verse 12, <clears throat> there was born even of one man and him as good as dead, had that as many descendants as the stars of the heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. That's a powerful God. You know the fun, an amazing thing about God, church, that we sometimes don't even conceive in our minds? God is everywhere at the very same time. He's not 20% here. 40% there in Ukraine and 72% out here. God is everywhere at the very same time. 
You can't hide from them. You can't escape. You can go to the Mariner's Trench, go millions of miles deep. He's just as much there as he's in this room. The other thing to keep in mind is God knows the end from the beginning all at the very same time because he's omniscient and he's omnipotent and he spoke the world into existence by the word of his mouth. That's our God. And yet we think we can do better than him. Oh, I don't want to get to meddling in your life now. So, so God calls into being that which does not exist. Into Sarah's dead womb, <clears throat> he makes it a living womb, and she gives birth to a son, and his name is Isaac. He calls us who are dead in our sins and trespasses, and he makes us alive through Christ. And I would be remiss not to take a moment and speak on the sovereignty of God a little bit more. Church, to say that God is sovereign <clears throat> is to declare that God alone does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the people on earth. Not, no human being, no force in the universe can hold God back or question him. He is the one they called into being that which does not exist. We call this creatio ex nihilio. Creatio, creation, ex nihilio, out of nothing. The word ek is where we get the word exit from. If you guys look at an exit sign and you say exit, you all know you're Greek. I'm so proud of you. So ex nihilio, he calls into, into existence and he didn't need to go to Home Depot or Lowe's. He spoke, boom, and there it is. He calls into being that which is not from not existing to existing. Now, I want you to think about a moment. <clears throat> Imagine for a moment God looking right at Abraham as Abraham's gazing up at the stars. Sarah, maybe she's chilling out in the tent. <clears throat> God calls from nothing Abraham's seed into being, and he gives each of them their names. Do you know that God knew who you'd be, when you'd be, who your parents would be, when you would be born, and what your name was a gazillion years before he even invented earth? Because he knows the end from the beginning. God, there's never been a time that God has not existed. That's the thing we understand. We are finite. He is infinite. So he knew everything about us from the moment that we were conceived to the moment we draw our last breath, long before the solar system, the planets, long before anything. He knew every one of Abraham's descendants, it's you and I, before we came into being. And he already chose them before the world was. And one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture that speaks of his sovereignty is found in the book of Nehemiah, slide 12, Nehemiah 9, 6. <clears throat> You alone are Yahweh. You alone. You alone are Yahweh. You have made the heavens. The heavens of heavens. All of their host. The earth. All that is on it. The seas. All that is in them. You, Yahweh, give life to all of them. And the heavenly host bows down before you. Listen, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. That'll be us too. Slide 13. How about Psalm 33, 6 and 7? 
Look at this. By the word of Yahweh, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear Yahweh. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Ask yourself this morning. Ask yourself, do you stand in awe of him? Be honest. Do you stand in awe of Yahweh? For he spoke, church, verse 9, slide 14. He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. <clears throat> Do not believe the lie of evolution. You know what's really scary? Kids go to school all week, learn about Caesar's world, learn about Caesar's philosophy. Then they go to church on Sundays and they color in a coloring book, Noah's Ark, and you think that's going to work. You parents have to be the one that are speaking the life-giving word of God into your kid's life and your grandkid's life. Do you hear me? Or Caesar's going to take over for you. And don't be surprised if they follow Caesar and not God. Oh, I'm meddling now, Dr. Carter. Do not believe the lie of evolution. We did not come from apes. We didn't slither out of some cosmic pool. I like what Arthur Pink says. Look at slide 15. Arthur Pink says this. God is absolute, irresistible, <clears throat> and infinite. When we say that God is sovereign, we affirm his right to govern the universe, which he has made for his own glory, just as he pleases. The spiritual proof of creation is found in every part of the word of God. <clears throat> Slide 16 and 17. By faith. This is Hebrews 11.3. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. Do you see that? Do you see that? God spoke and it was so. Do you see it in the text? By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. John 1, 3. All things came into being through him. Right? All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Slide 18. In the beginning, God created. God created the heavens and the earth. And I picture God as a, a mother hen brooding over her chicks, brooding, says the Spirit of God was hovering, literally brooding over his creation. That's a beautiful picture. It's exciting. Another fact that we need that needs to be pointed out is that God sees the end from the beginning all at the very same time. And what God purposes is most certainly going to come to pass. Why do we want to get our wisdom from TV talk show hosts when you have a Bible that has God's infallible, inerrant, immutable word in front of you? I don't need the news commentators. I don't need the game show talks. Nothing against Dr. Phil. I don't need any of that. I got God speaking to me every time I open this book up, and you do too. 
People say, oh, God doesn't speak to me. Well, when's the last time you opened up your Bible? See, the Holy Spirit never works independently from the Word. So if you want to hear God speak, open up your Bible. To sum it up, he is the only true God who calls people, places, and events into existence solely by his divine and sovereign will. In verses 18 and 19, Paul finished using Abraham as an illustration of saving faith that we would find in the Old Testament. The Old Testament people were saved exactly the way the New Testament people were saved by faith. And as we've learned, the people in the Old Testament got the same message as we just read from Abraham. Abraham believed it was credited to him as righteousness. It wasn't through works or rituals. So let's look at verse 18 and 19, slide 19. In hope against hope, he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which has been spoken. So shall your descendants be. <clears throat> Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. And slide 20, the New Living Translation. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Do you see that, church? Stop there and let that ruminate in you this morning. You might have a lot of stuff going on in your life right now, and a lot of this stuff wants to hijack your harp, a lot of the garbage going in the world wants to crush your spirit and crush your elpis, your hope. But even when there was no reason to hope, Abraham kept hoping. He believed that he would become the father of many nations because God said that to him. That's how many descendants you will have, Abraham. Abraham's faith did not weaken even though at about 100 years of age he figured his body as good as dead as well as Sarah's womb. What's, been, what's Paul been trying to do? Paul's been trying to show them that justification, that means being made right with God, happens only by faith alone. And you'll hear me say it until I drop dead. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The word of God alone is all we need. And to God be the glory five souls of the Reformation right there. See, he wants all of us to see this beautiful, vibrant, perfect illustration found in the life of this married couple that was from the Ur of Chaldees. He has proven from the scriptures all the way back from Genesis 15:6, Abraham was justified or declared right by faith. And Paul has given us detail after detail after detail from the Old Testament scriptures to show us what saving faith is. And as we look at justification by faith, we learn a lot about the characteristics of faith. <clears throat> Notice what he says. In hope against hope he believed, right? Slide 19 and 20. Or slide 20. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. So let's ask some questions this morning. If a 10-year-old came up to you and said, so-and-so, can you give me the working definition of the word hope and the working definition of the word faith, what would you write down and tell the 10-year-old? More importantly, using hermeneutics, what did Paul mean 
when Paul used the words hope and the word faith. We don't want to eisegete, we don't want to read in the text what we think it says. We want to draw down in the text and yank out what the original author was trying to say to those people that day so that we can apply that to our own life. Amen? Amen. Oh, you had your hermeneutics for this morning. There you go. Dr. Carter is going to give an on A. So in hope against hope, <clears throat> Greek word for hope is the word elpis. It means to anticipate. It has the idea of an expectation, a desire for something that might be true or might happen. Faith, the Greek word pisteo, means to trust in, have confidence in, rely on. What do we draw from the text? Applying those hermeneutics, those definitions, anticipation, expectation, trusting and having confidence, relying on. <clears throat> it would seem, based on what the text says, that Abraham had hope. He had this, this expectation, this, this excitement and anticipation from a human natural standpoint that had no basis to it. But he had this anticipation, this expectation. Yet in spite of what seemed to be humanly impossible, he, he pisteoed, he believed. He had faith and he trusted on, he had confidence and he relied on the promises God made to him. How about you and me? If you were to drop dead today, do you believe that you would be ushered into the presence of God? Do you have the hope? Do you have the faith to believe that? And the only way you do is because God the Holy Spirit gives it to you. That's what we draw out of the text What's important for each of us to understand here is this, church. Abraham's object of his faith, listen, the object of Abraham's faith was in God. Do you hear me? The object of Abraham's faith was God. His, his faith was not in science or circumstances or money or doctors or any of that. His object of his faith was God and God alone. Think about it. Abraham was taken outside. He was told to look up into the heavens. Slide 20. Remember Genesis 15, 5. He took Abraham outside and said, Abraham, listen. Abraham, listen. L look up, Abraham. Abraham, look up at the heavens. I want you to start counting the stars. If you're able to count them all. So see all them stars? So shall your descendants be. Here's a guy that's 99 years old. Wife's maybe 89 years old. Close to 100. He was about 100 just about. And yet God <clears throat> makes this promise to him. Not an 18-year-old or a 20-year-old career. You know, I'm going to be the best carpenter in this tribe. Yeah. No. He made it to Abraham, church. But God did something else. God gave Abraham the faith he needed to trust in the promises of God. And Abraham and his wife, they weren't without shortcomings or sin. Earlier, some 14 years before all this happened, Abraham's wife kind of got like me and you, especially me. She got impatient. Now, I know you guys have all the patience in the world. I know you all do. Sarah, she got impatient just like Pastor Jack. So instead of listening to the Lord, 
She said, I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to do it through human effort instead of God's way. So Abraham's wife says, hey, take my slave. Make a kid so you have an heir. And you can find that back in Genesis 16 when you get time. So she had Abraham take her wife, or take her, um, her, her name was Hagar. That was the slave that she had at the time. She says, take, take Hagar. I want you to have a son. Looks like 22, 23. Here's the problem when you run ahead. Here's the problem when you're impatient. Trust me, I've blown up many times. Galatians 4, 22 and 23. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman, meaning a slave woman, and one by a free woman. Hagar was the slave. Sarah was the free woman. But the son of the bondwoman, Ishmael, was born according to the flesh. It wasn't God's design. And the son of the free woman, through the promise. See? We can do it our way, or we can do it God's way. I like how the NLT puts it, slide 23. The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife, one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. That's what happens when you run ahead of God. But the son of the freeborn wife, that's Sarah, was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. See, even, even when we screw up, God's still gets things done the way God wants them done when he wants them done. Slide 24. Notice Paul says, according to the flesh or the NLT, born in human attempt. Here's some questions for you this morning. We're almost done. Got about 17 pages to go. No, I'm kidding. How often do we at times find ourselves doing things our own way according to our own flesh and not God's will. You ever notice how your circumstances can all of a sudden give you cataracts and you don't see clearly anymore and so you're feeling around trying to do things your own way. So how often do we also at times find ourselves doing things our own way according to flesh and not God's will? Here's another question. Where does this thinking and behavior show up in your life? Think about it. When does this behavior and thinking show up in your life? Usually it's when you want things done here and now and you're not willing to wait. Now, I know none of you all struggle with that. How often do we find ourselves running ahead of God? Because we want what we want now according to our terms. See, the, the guys that are running all of the uh, car ads... They love this. We don't care if you ever paid a bill. Come down and bury yourself in more debt. The interest rate will only be 90%. So you'll only buy that car five times. Or get this credit card. Oh, you can buy that furniture now and pay a year later. Because you deserve it. See, Satan always appeals to the flesh. Instead of saving the money and then buying it and having no debt, you can have it now. Finance it. Pay it off next year at 100% interest. Now, I'm sure none of you all ever had that problem. See, church, let me wrap this up for you. Sarah chose not to wait on the Lord. 
So, you know, today we could use this illustration in so many different ways. <clears throat> Somebody that does marriage counseling and premarital counseling. Here, you know, single people. You know, think about it. For single people, this should awaken you to be patient and wait until you're married to have sexual intimacy with someone. What is the lesson here to apply to our lives? God's promises can only be fulfilled by his own power and no human effort will affect his will. No clever thoughts, no matter how sincere, will affect God's purposes and his desires and things he wants to see accomplished. You listen, if the more you yield to God, and, and, and I'm not saying it's easy. It's amazing. The more you yield to God and say, Lord, use me the way you want to use me. Do with me what you want to do with me. And the more you, you know, man plans his ways, but God orders his steps. That's what Proverbs says. Lord, I'm, I'm thinking about buying this. Is this your will for my life right now? Lord, I'm thinking about marrying this person. Is this your will for my life right now? And you give it to God and you bathe in prayer. Listen, God doesn't lie. And he will, listen, this church is because of God. This church does not have millions of dollars. This church started with $19, maybe 20 bucks in the storefront 19 years ago on High Street. The, the building we were in used to be a mosque before we got it. Don't tell me that God doesn't fulfill promises. And here we are 19 years later. And it's not because of us. It's because of him. Slide 25 and 26, right? Slide 26, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. Here's the beautiful part. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. Our fleshly efforts are doomed to failure and bring dishonor to him rather than glory if we do things on human efforts. Human efforts, even for the purpose of trying to keep the whole law, is futile. It's a form of works righteousness. So Paul was using this illustration in Galatians of Ishmael and Isaac. And Isaac was the result of God's sovereign and gracious promise. Just as God would not recognize Ishmael as a son of promise to Abraham because of sinful human efforts, he will not recognize his spiritual children, anyone who trusts in their only good works to try to accomplish her in salvation. Abraham never worried, slide 26. His faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. The circumstances in your life that, philipsis is the Greek word, that press you into uncomfortable tight places, think about it. The more you trust God, through those circumstances. You know, God give me strength, so God gives you circumstances to grow you. Abraham grew stronger. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever God promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted it and accredited him as righteousness. Church, Paul is trying to get across to us that Abraham did not waver or literally in the actual Greek, he did not withdraw his faith in God's promise away from him. He chose to believe God 
and he chose to believe in God's word and in nothing else. He did not allow doubt to undermine his belief and that God would fulfill his promise. Slide 27, 28. We're going to finish up here. How about you and I? Here's some good acid questions. And you should be thinking about this today. What are those things in your life right now that you and I allow to create doubt in our hearts? Think about it. Whether it's employment, promotions, places to live, what are those things in your life right now that you and I allow to create doubt in our hearts? Maybe make a list of those things and then take them to the Lord in prayer. What in your life right now are you allowing to hijack your heart or undermine your belief? Think about it. What in your life right now are you allowing to hijack your heart or undermine your belief? Because it doesn't look right, so therefore, oh, God must not love me. God must not love me. Do you believe that God gives life to the dead, and do you believe He believe that He calls into being that which does not exist? Slide 28. Do we really believe <clears throat> that God is sovereign and that nothing in our lives is not under His control? Do we struggle with that one sometimes, church? Do we really believe that God is sovereign and that nothing in our lives is under His control? Yet sometimes we act like that. Amen. Do the circumstances in your life right now seem to make you conclude that God is not capable of fulfilling His promise? How often do we find ourselves vacillating back and forth between faith and and doubt. It's amazing when things are going really well and we have a little coin in our pocket, we can easily come into church and go, oh, sing praises to God and glory to God. But when things get tight, the money gets tight. There's more bill at the end of the month than money. I'm sure, none of you ever have that problem. Things get tough. Isn't it amazing how quickly we can find ourselves not trusting in God? And the next thing you know, we're looking to the government. Hear me this morning. God allows the trials and troubles and tests to come into our lives to strengthen us. Well, Pastor Jack, where does it say that? I'm glad you asked again. How about slide 29 and 30? Consider it all joy. What? What? Or as Rick would say, what the what? Consider it all joy, brothers, when you encounter various trials. James, does he get hit on the head with a rock again? Dude. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces something, produces endurance. And let this endurance that faith produces have its perfect teleo result so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Here it is in the NLT. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. <clears throat> for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed or mature, I think the word is teleo there, 
You will, now the word teleo is perfect. You will be complete, perfect, needing nothing. Boy, what would be different in our lives if we actually took that and we applied it to our lives and we started to live that out? What would be difference in our walk with the Lord just in a week or two weeks if we said, we're going to try it God's way. I've been doing my way for so long and I keep crashing and burning. Man, if I do it God's way, wow. Church, as I close, they're all saying, thank God now, Pastor. The more you and I can rejoice in our trials and testing the more we can come to realize that they are not liabilities, church. They are privileges and therefore our benefit, even though they are painful. The hope is that we, as a result of the trials, grow closer to our Jesus. He is the only true source of all lasting joy. Not a temporal, worldly joy that we often chase after. Let me close with Warren Wearsby, slide 31. Warren Wearsby says, Our values determine our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, trials will upset us. Let me say that one again. If we value comfort more than character, then trials are going to upset us. There's your acid test. There it is right there. If we value the material and physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and we forget about the future, the trials will make us bitter, not better. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. I know I shared a lot with you this morning. I want to encourage you this morning. You have no idea if today is going to be the last day you're alive. You have no clue. And if God chose to call you home today and you drew your last breath on earth and you're now ushered into that Bema seat area, that judgment seat area, and God looked directly at you, And God said to you, why should I let you into heaven? Here's the question. What would your answer to that question be? There's only one correct answer to that question. Not two, three, or five, one. It doesn't matter if you have felonies. It doesn't matter if you have alcohol problems or drug problems or criminal problems. There is no sin like that that God cannot rescue you from. Do you hear me? The only answer to that question is because, Lord, I believe that you died on that cross 2,000 years ago. You shed that blood on that cross, that crimson blood that washed away my sin and paid my sin debt in full. And I believe that you are the Christ. You are the eternal Son of God. And that you died for me so that I could live for you. If you are here this morning, maybe you're listening around the world right now. And I'll say it again. Now is the time for you to get right with God. You don't know if today will be the last day you will be alive. I want to encourage you, deeply encourage you.
to surrender your life to Jesus Christ right now as he has been freely offered to you in the gospel. Don't put it off. It is appointed once for a man to die and then the judgment. Please understand something. There's no second chance. Sin generates consequences. Remember that. Sin generates consequences. There's no second chance. Either you will pay for your sin by burning in hell for all eternity, or Jesus Christ has paid your sin debt in full, and you step into glory, and you are with him for time and all eternity. And like I said, I don't care if you're a drug dealer, alcoholic. I don't care if your brain is numb from meth, crack. I don't care. God can save you and rescue you from any circumstance you're in. And Father, I pray for all of us here this morning. Now is the time for all of us to get right with you, Lord. We know this world, Lord, is spiraling out of control very quickly. Help us, Lord, as more persecution and trials come our way, that we will count it as joy. And Lord, if there's anybody here or listening around the world, I pray now that would be the time that they surrender their life to you. Lord, you're the one that effectually calls us out of darkness. You're the one that effectually calls us and woos us to you. And your grace will always be more powerful than our sin. So we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Yeshua's name, amen. Shake hands, meet, and greet each other, and then line up over.